Hi everyone. Thank you so much for letting us into your space today. We wanted to let you know that we have a lot going on here at Christ Community. And so we encourage you to visit our website and see what is coming up um, for the rest of the year into the new year. Uh, we also encourage you to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can see more of the content coming out into your feet from us. We hope you enjoy the message. Welcome to those who are here, those who are watching online. We're glad that all of you are engaging in this service. It's really good for me to be here. This last week has been amazing. A week ago, I was officiating the wedding of my daughter, which was so fun. And uh, yes, that was so awesome. And then we got to watch my um, 14-month-old grandson all week while uh, my son and daughter-in-law were in California. So that has been an absolute blast as well. So it's been a really, really good week. Uh, before I, I jump in here, I wanted to highlight something that we're starting this week. Um, this Wednesday, we're, we're launching a midday, midweek prayer and worship time at noon on Wednesday, from noon to one every Wednesday. It's called the Tabernacle. The heart is really to provide some space for anyone who wants to, to come and seek the Lord, to be in his presence. It's going to be in the community room. You can come for all, the whole hour, or you could come for just a part, maybe over lunch. You can only get for 30 minutes or whatever, but there are more details in the newsletter, but that's starting this, this Wednesday. All right, we're, we're in the midst of a teaching series where we're walking through the book of First Corinthians, and we're entering into a section of this letter that's focused on the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit, which is something that I am incredibly passionate about, and I'm excited about us exploring together. This is really a crucial part of who we are as a church. So when I went to seminary years ago uh, with the hopes of one day being a pastor, one of the things that God placed on my heart at that time was this desire to be a part of a church that pursued both the word and the spirit, the Holy Spirit, which at that time seemed really unusual. I didn't know of any churches like that. Most churches at that time, especially tended to camp on one side or the other. So there were word churches focused only on the word, right? Or on the other extreme, there were, or the other side, I should say, there were spirit churches and they really only focused, primarily focused on the Holy Spirit. And I, and I wondered why not both? Why could there not be a church that was rooted in scripture and yet open to the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit. So when I was hired here 33 years ago, we began to journey into this realm of embracing both the word and the spirit. And we are intentionally continuing this journey, which is why I'm so excited about us spending a few weeks in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. In this chapter, Paul is talking about a specific aspect of the ministry of the Holy Spirit and how we can experience him in deeper ways in our lives. Now, look, let me just say something right up front, really, really important. The concepts and the information in this chapter of the Bible can impact each one of us, each one of us here. I mean, seriously, sometimes I think many of, for those of us who are Christ followers, many of us as Christians, we, we start to believe this, this lie that the Holy Spirit stuff, this Holy Spirit stuff is for everyone else, not, not us. 
You know, we're too messed up, we're too immature, whatever. And, and I'm just telling you, Paul goes out of his way in this chapter to make sure all of us realize that this is for every believer in Jesus. This is for every one of us. And, and, and as we'll see, it is not about us needing to do something in order to experience this. It's not. Jump through hoops or what? It's not. It's not. Paul is very clear in this passage. This is about something that we receive. We receive. Something we are given. So I'll talk more about that in a few minutes. But suffice it to say that this passage is like Christmas morning for every believer in Jesus. Okay? <laughs> it's like Christmas morning. So let's jump in. Chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians, verse 1. Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. So Paul starts this section by bringing up a specific topic as it relates to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And this topic is the topic of spiritual gifts. He is going to spend the next three chapters, chapters 12, 13, and 14, the next three chapters unpacking this in greater detail. But in this, these initial verses that we're looking at today, Paul answers three foundational questions as it relates to this whole area of the gifts of the Spirit. So first, what are spiritual gifts? What are spiritual gifts? Notice how Paul begins this section. He says, now about spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be uninformed. Right off the bat, Paul is saying that a believer in Jesus needs to be well informed about this area of spiritual gifts. This is a really important aspect of our spiritual lives, but do, are we informed about this? It's a really important area. Why is it important? Because of the impact that this can have, as we're going to see. So in order for us to not be uninformed about spiritual gifts, we need to start with the obvious question. What are spiritual gifts? What is a spiritual gift? Now, this question is a little tricky to answer from this passage because Paul doesn't lay out this simple, clearly articulated definition of what a spiritual gift is. He doesn't do that. And the reason he doesn't do that is something we've been talking about all along. This is a personal letter. First Corinthians is a personal letter. It's not a seminar he's given. He's giving. It is a personal letter. He's responding to questions that the church at Corinth has. And, and so the reason why this doesn't feel like it, it's kind of, it feels like it's a little bit, a lot of different information is because he's responding to a question that they have about spiritual gifts. And so he's assuming they already know what spiritual gifts are. And so he doesn't give a, an airtight definition, but in his pretty thorough response to their question in these chapters here, we can, we can begin to piece together a pretty good idea of what spiritual gifts are. So in verse one, he refers to them in Greek, the Greek language, which is what Paul wrote in, it as pneumatikos, which literally technically means the things of the spirit, kind of a general category. Category. Well, then in verses four to seven, Paul uses some other words to describe spiritual gifts. So let's look at each one of these. Verse four, there are different kinds of gifts but the same spirit distributes them. See, here Paul uses the Greek word charisma, which is translated gift. Now, the root of the word charisma is the Greek word is charis, which means grace. So in using this word, Paul is revealing the fact that spiritual gifts are given to us by God as gifts. There's, they're, they're not seeing anything we can earn or work for. They are undeserved gifts 
or gracelets from God to us. Another word Paul uses then in the next verse, verse five, is this. He says, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. So here, Paul describes spiritual gifts using this word service, which means ministry, serving other people. So here we begin to see that the gifts of the spirit are not given for us. They are given to us for others. So they they are given to us to be used to serve others. Verse six, Paul uses another word to, to describe spiritual gifts. Here it is. There are different kinds of workings, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now the Greek word translated working is energeo, from which we get our word energy. So in using this word, Paul highlights how these gifts are tangible ways. We actually experience the power, the energy of God working in us. And then finally, in verse seven, Paul refers to spiritual gifts with another word. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. A manifestation is something that reveals. Spiritual gifts are things that reveal or they show the Holy Spirit to other people. So from these various words, I think there are five different words Paul uses in the first few verses here. But from these various words Paul uses to describe spiritual gifts, we can piece together a kind of working definition of what a spiritual gift is. So here's my attempt at that. We'll put it on the screen here. A spiritual gift is a special ability given by the Holy Spirit and energized by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of serving other people and demonstrating that the Spirit is alive. Okay, that seems to be what Paul is describing here with the words he uses. And this is important because we need to be careful that we don't, and sometimes we do this in the body of Christ, we, we, we just need to be careful we don't too narrowly define what a spiritual gift is. When Paul seems very comfortable using a variety of words to paint an incredibly inspiring picture for us. Paul is not wanting us to put the topic of spiritual gifts in a, in a box and place neat and tidy descriptions on it. I don't think he wants to do that. No, he, he wants us to experience the fullness and the reality of spiritual gifts. There is a dynamic, there is an energy, a Holy Spirit empowering and demonstrating that is happening whenever spiritual gifts are being used. No wonder, he says, I don't want you to be uninformed about this. (laughs) This is a big deal. He said, I don't want any follower of Jesus to be uninformed about this area of spiritual gifts because it's so important. Spiritual gifts are a tangible way for us, all of us, to experience more of the Holy Spirit flowing in and through us to impact other people. Who wouldn't want to experience that? right? (laughs) Who wouldn't want to experience that? I mean, we all long for a deeper, more real and full experience of the Holy Spirit. Now, having said that, let me also acknowledge that this area of spiritual gifts is an area that at times has been misused and abused by Christians, right? In the body of Christ. 
Um, and, and, and many of us maybe have a story of being a part of something like that or being impacted by that in a negative way. And in fact, I want to point out here that in, in, in chapter 14, we realize that part of the reason that Paul is addressing the topic of spiritual gifts is because of some of the ways the gifts had, were being misused in the church at Corinth. It, it primarily had to do with speaking in tongues. Apparently, and if you don't know what that is, we'll talk about it next week, but apparently, and in, 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 in beyond that as well, but apparently there was a contingent of people in the church that had the gift of speaking in tongues, and they thought, the group that had that, they thought everyone in the church should have that gift, and that this gift was a mark of maturity. If you didn't have the gift, you were a second-class citizen. You weren't really spirit-filled. If you didn't have the gift, of, you didn't speak in tongues. That was what was going on in the church at Corinth, and so that's why throughout this whole section of chapters 12 to 14, over and over again, Paul emphasizes the fact that there is a wide variety of spiritual gifts and no one has all the gifts. There's a variety. They are distributed. There's a, people have different gifts. Not everyone's supposed to have the same gift. He says that over and over again. And then not one gift is not more spiritual than another gift. One gift is not more needed than another. All of them are needed. All of them are valuable. All of them are important. So part of the reason for Paul addressing the topic of spiritual gifts in this letter was some abuses were happening. But I want you to notice in his correction of the church at Corinth about spiritual gifts and their misuses in his correction, he doesn't dismiss or diminish the topic of spiritual gifts. In fact, he says, I, you shouldn't be uninformed about this. So he's not throwing out the baby with the bathwater. And we ought not do that either. For some Christians, they have a negative experience, maybe in a church where things get weird or whatever. And they're just like, I don't want anything to do with any of that spiritual gift stuff. And they, they end up throwing out the baby with the bathwater. And we, we shouldn't do that because of what we'll miss. Yeah, we need to be cautious. I remember a seminary professor saying, yeah, have the, have the window open, but the screen on. I think that's a good, you know, the screen up. That's a good, you know, we want to, there's a certain amount of caution is appropriate, but let's also have our hearts, have, let's have the window open. We want the spirit of God moving. We want the breath of God moving with a, with a screen so that we're filtering out things that are not biblical or whatever, but we, we don't want to miss what God is inviting us to experience in this passage. We don't want to miss that. An experience, an experience of his energizing power flowing through us to impact and encourage other people for him. Okay, that's what a spiritual gift is. Let's lead to the second question related to spiritual gifts. Who gets to receive spiritual gifts? Sounds pretty cool. Who gets to receive this? <clears throat> Who are the gifts for in terms of recipients? Verse two, you know that when you were pagans, in other words, before you came to know Jesus, somehow or other you were influenced and led astray to mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus be cursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So Paul here, he's introducing this topic of spiritual gifts by reminding these Corinthian believers of what their life was like before they came to know Jesus. They didn't have the spirit of Christ in them, which means that they were easily influenced and led astray by all these idols and that they were worshiping and, and the demons behind those idols. We found about, uh, earlier in a couple, couple chapters ago, chapter 10, there are demons behind those the rituals of worshiping in, in temples and all that stuff. So 
just, but, he, but he's reminding them of what their life was like before they knew Jesus. And I, I want to just stop for a moment and have us do the same. Could you think about for a moment, for those of you here who, who know Jesus personally, think about what your life was like before you knew him. You didn't have the spirit of God in you. you. You were at the mercy of these idols and these demonic influences that don't that didn't care a bit about you or your well-being. They don't, they didn't love you. They didn't care about you. They just want to destroy you. And that this is an awful way to live, right? That's an awful way to live. But we see in the New Testament that something amazing happens the moment we repent of our sin and we place our trust in Jesus. At that moment, in, in Acts 2, we see a great picture of this. When the Spirit of God is poured out upon the church in a dramatic way, Peter stands up to explain what was happening. And, and the, the people that are seeing all this stuff happening, they ask him, what shall we do? What are we supposed to do? How do we experience what you're experiencing? And here's what Peter says. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. The moment we place our trust in Jesus, we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He comes to live in us, to make his dwelling in our lives and in our hearts. The Holy Spirit, friends, the Holy Spirit is the very presence of Jesus. He's the very presence of Jesus. And he comes to make his dwelling in us. This is astounding. In the Old Testament, the temple was a building where people had to travel to be in God's presence. But now in Christ, we become God's temple. His presence lives in us. And this promise, this promise, it's a promise from God. And notice, it's not just for a select few. It's not just for the, it's not for the super spiritual or religious or whatever. It is for anyone. And Peter says, even those who are far off, even those who feel like their lives have been such a mess and they have done so many awful things and how could God possibly love them and, even if you are far off, this gift is for you. Even if you feel like God would never, could never love you or accept you after what you've done, this gift is for you. The gift of the Holy Spirit is for you. So if you have never admitted your sin and placed your faith in Jesus, I urge you to do that. You don't want to live without the Spirit of God living in you and working in you. You don't want to be led astray by the various idols of this world. Open your heart to Jesus and let him give you the gift the permanent gift, the indwelling presence of his spirit. At the end of this message, in our prayer time, I want to give an opportunity for anyone watching or anyone here to do that. It's so important. Now, for those of you who have placed your faith in Jesus, the very spirit of God, the very spirit 
of God lives in you and is at work in you. Paul says here, verse three, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit in us is always pointing us to Jesus, <laughs> right? He, he's, he's always inviting us to align our lives with Jesus' Lordship, which is, which is truly transformative. Because when we surrender every part of our lives to, to Jesus' Lordship, our sexuality, our relationships, our money, our politics, our anxiety, our vocation, our time. That's where life change happens, right? That's where life change happens because the spirit suddenly is free to move. He's freed to move because he'll never violate our free will. Okay, but that's not all the spirit does. That was more foundational. We got to understand that, but that's not all the spirit does. Because as we saw earlier in verse four, Paul then starts talking about how the spirit is the one who gives spiritual gifts. Verse four, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit, capital S, Holy Spirit, distributes them. Paul is saying that this Holy Spirit who lives in us is the one who distributes spiritual gifts. Jumping down to verse 11, all these are the work of one of the same spirit. All these gifts are the work of one of the same spirit. And he distributes them, look at this, to each one just as he determines. So the spirit is the one who distributes spiritual gifts, which leads us back to the initial question we asked, who gets to receive these spiritual gifts? Paul tells us the spirit distributes them to each one, just as he determines each one. The spirit gives spiritual gifts to each and every follower of Jesus. Spiritual gifts are not something reserved for, the, for a select few, for the super spiritual or the seminary trained or whatever. No, no, no. Or the really mature people who seem to have their spiritual act together. No, no, no. Paul says this, the spirit gives spiritual gifts to each one. Each one. <laughs> if you have placed your trust in Jesus, you have been given at least one spiritual gift. And notice that gift was hand selected for you. This is so cool. The language Paul uses here, it's, it's fascinating. He's not describing God pouring out spiritual gifts in general, like a, a food relief helicopter, you know, dropping gifts of supplies to people on the ground and the boxes break and everyone's scrambling to grab the gifts from some other, you know, that's the image I have in my head or whatever, but that's not how it works. Paul says that God distributes the gifts personally, individually to us, just as he determines. Your spiritual gifts, whatever they are, were hand-selected by you, for you, by God, hand-selected by God for you, <laughs> by the Spirit of God. And that this is the impetus for the Christmas morning comment I made earlier. On Christmas morning, think about this, Christmas morning, we receive gifts from people who love us, right? And they have selected, they have selected that gift uniquely for us. Paul is saying, God has personally selected spiritual gifts for you to have and for me to have. So as a Christian, every day is Christmas morning because we are recipients of grace gifts from God, spiritual gifts that he has personally selected us to receive. 
So let me ask this. How do you feel when you have taken the time to choose a gift for someone that you love? You hand-selected this gift for them because you know them and you, you know, you hand-selected, you got this gift, perfect gift for them. And when they open the gift, they say, oh, thanks. And then they put it on a shelf and they never use it. How does that feel as a giver? It doesn't feel good. Nor does it enable the gift to actually be a blessing to the person we gave it to. They can't experience the joy of our gift because they have chosen not to use it. So think about this. If Jesus was standing before you today and he handed you a wrapped package that he, a gift he had specifically chosen for you, he handed you this wrapped package, your name is on it. What would you do with that gift? Would you open it? Would you treasure it? Would you use it? See, what Paul is saying here is that that is actually true, what I just described. The spirit of Jesus has given to you and to me, to each one of us, he has given a spiritual gift specifically chosen by him for us. What are we gonna do with that gift? Which leads to the third question. Paul addresses as it relates to spiritual gifts. What is the purpose of spiritual gifts? We know what they are, right? But what is the purpose? We know who the recipients are, but what's the purpose? Paul alluded to this answer earlier in verse five when he referred to spiritual gifts as service. Remember this? He said, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. Spiritual gifts are given for the purpose of us being able to serve others others. That's why they're given. We see this theme in verse seven as well. Now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. See, spiritual gifts are given to us individually for the purpose of collective blessing, right? Given to us individually for the purpose of serving others. They are to be used to bless others, to bring good to others. That's why they are given. As I said earlier, spiritual gifts are given to us, but they are not for us. They are given to us for others. They're not given to us to hoard or to put in a closet somewhere. No, they are given to us to be used in blessing other people. <laughs> it's so cool. God gives us this gift undeserved and we get to use it to bless others. We get to use it to help stir in other people a deeper love for Jesus, to help them grow in their relationship with Jesus. So in order to drive this point home, Paul uses a very powerful, simple analogy all of us can understand. Verse 12, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. So Paul Later in this, in this chapter, but we're going to touch on it here. He uses the analogy of a physical body. Our physical body is in how they work. Our bodies, each one of us here, we have a physical body. And our, our body, a physical body has different parts. Bones, ears, skin, fingers, kidneys. All of these parts serve the common good of the body. Their purpose is not for themselves. They, they, they do what they are designed to do. And in doing so, they contribute to the good of the whole body. When our kidneys are not working well, 
our whole body gets impacted by that. When our kidneys are working well, our whole body benefits. When our ears are working well, our whole body benefits. When, it's, when they're not working well, you know, we can't hear the you know, horn of the car walking across the street. I mean, our whole body can be impacted by that, right? So when there's a part of our body that's not working right, it's not functioning right, the whole body is impacted. I remember a few years ago, I was trying to clean the interior of my car and which I rarely do. And now I have a reason why I rarely do it because I was, I was rubbing the interior with a rag and this, this middle finger, it just buckled, just the top, the top bit buckled and then it wouldn't straighten. It didn't hurt. It just wouldn't straighten and it kind of freaked me out. So I contacted Dr. Google immediately um, and I found out I had mallet finger. I'd never even heard of this thing, mallet finger. And I immediately knew from Dr. Google that I needed to put it in a splint ASAP or it would permanently stay bent. And so I put it in a, in a, in a split for six weeks. My life was impacted by this little half inch long part of one finger, my ability to, to, to work, my ability to play golf, my ability to take a shower. I mean, all these things were impacted when just a little part of my body wasn't functioning. So Paul uses the analogy of a body to describe how the church is to function. We are to function as the body of Christ, which the body of Christ, which means that each part, each gift is needed and is vitally important to the body. Now, what an amazingly creative and cool way of organizing things. I mean, God, you know, he, he nailed this, right? Which isn't, uh, uh, you know, surprising. But anyway, in the body of Christ, this is so cool because in the body of Christ, everyone gets to play. But not only that, everyone needs to play. In the body of Christ, everyone needs to play because they have gifts that are needed by other people. If our eye just decides one day, it doesn't really want to be an eye. I don't feel like being an eye today. I don't feel like doing the eye thing. I'm just tired to do the eye. The whole body is impacted by that. So think of what this means. If God determines which gifts are given and to whom, then he has a purpose for those gifts to be used. There are people in the body of Christ who need your gifts and when that gift gets put on a shelf, for whatever reason, guess who suffers? The body of Jesus suffers. Because there are people who needed your ministry and it didn't happen. See, we often, when we think about spiritual, oh, I'm going to take a spiritual gift test. I wonder what my gifts are, you know, which is totally fine. We, we just think about, oh, I'm excited to find out what my gifts are. And every, we, you know, I'm choosing to use our gift. We, we think about it through that lens, but do we ever consider the impact when we choose the impact on other people when our spiritual gift is not used. For instance, let's say God specifically gave you, has given you a gift of encouragement, which is a spiritual gift Paul mentions in Romans 12. We'll talk about this next week. What, what a vitally important gift, gift of encouragement that is so needed in, in the world today, in our society today, in, our, in the church today. People are just discouraged and let's say God has given you a gift, totally undeserved, but a really cool gift that you're able to encourage other people. But what if you never interact with people? What if when you come to church, you immediately go to your seat and then you leave as quickly as possible without talking to anyone? What if you never serve in any ministry area? What happens is that the specific people or children 
including children, who need your gift don't get to receive your gift. They don't get to experience the encouragement you would bring to them. And you miss out on the joy of being used by God to bless and encourage another person. You miss out on the dynamic experience Paul's describing here in this passage. How spiritual gifts are a supernatural opportunity for us to be energized by the Holy Spirit and empowered to actually bless another person. So in the next few weeks, we're going to be going deeper into this subject, looking, slowing down kind of in this chapter, looking at the specific lists of spiritual gifts in scripture. We're going to talk about that next week, how we can discover our spiritual gifts, all that, all that. But, but look, honestly, all of that is, all that honestly is, is irrelevant. Talk about spiritual gifts and spiritual gift tests. All, it, it's irrelevant if our heart is not available and open to being used by God to serve others. I mean, if your primary view of church is that it's a place for you to receive and to be served and to be fed, then a further discussion of spiritual gifts won't be helpful because your heart is singularly focused on you what you need and what you want. And your experience of church will be so much less than what God desires and intends for you and for others. But if, as you are hearing us talk about spiritual gifts, if your heart is being stirred by this vision of having gifts God has given you and hand delivered to you and the privilege of using those gifts to serve and to actually bless other people. That's awesome because you are ready. You are ready to step into a deeper experience of spirit empowerment and fullness. It's all about the heart. This is not an ought to. It is not. If you hear guilt from me, you're mishearing because this is not an ought to. This is a want to. This is a get to. We get to use the gifts God has given to us as a way to bless other people. And no wonder, I say this is a hard thing, and Paul reiterates this in chapter 14, verse 1. No wonder, at the start of chapter 14, look at what Paul says. <clears throat> he gives this, this command. Here's the command. Eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. <clears throat> Eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit. Paul is describing the foundational heart posture that fuels our experience of spiritual gifts. Desire. Desire. Do we earnestly desire these gifts of the Spirit? Do we long to be given these gifts so that we could pour into and bless and help other people in their walk with Jesus? That's the foundation. It's all about a posture of the heart a desire to serve Jesus by serving others, by using these gifts that he has hand-selected us to have and to receive. Amen. All right, well, let's uh, respond. If you're able to stand, why don't we stand and we're gonna, we're gonna just welcome the Holy Spirit to come. We do this at the end of every teaching. We give an opportunity and I'm going to pray a simple prayer in just a moment. Come Holy Spirit. And then I want, what, what, that, that, 
we know the spirit already lives in us. So what that prayer is, is a, it's a, it's a, it's a prayer of saying, Jesus, my heart is open to whatever you have for me. Holy Spirit, my heart is open to you. And my body and my mind, they're open to you. So we're just opening our hearts. And then we take about a minute of just stillness as we wait on the Lord. And sometimes um, I will encourage you, if you're comfortable, have your hands open in front of you. You don't have to do this, but it's, all, it's an ancient posture of receptivity. So Holy Spirit, come. We open our hearts to you. To all that you want to do and give and speak. Holy Spirit, we want to receive all that you have for us. I want to encourage you to continue with your eyes closed, just in a posture of receiving. But I want to give an invitation, as I mentioned earlier. Maybe there are some of you here, some of you watching. You have never entered into a relationship with God through Jesus See, the Bible makes it really clear. This, having a relationship with God is not about trying hard, going to church, you know, try to swear less or whatever. It's just, it's not about what we do. It's about admitting our need and placing our trust in Jesus who gave his life on the cross for us. It's a gift. Salvation is a gift. And so I'm asking, if you have never received that gift, even if you were raised in a Christian home, never received it for yourself, I want to invite you to say a simple prayer where you will place your trust in Jesus and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So if that's the desire of your heart, just pray along with me in the silence of your heart. Dear Jesus, I acknowledge my need of you. And I choose to place my trust in you alone. Thank you for dying on the cross for me, for forgiving my sins, and for rising from the dead to give me new life. Thank you. So I open my heart to you. I place my trust in you. 
and I receive your forgiveness and I receive your Holy Spirit to come live in me and change me from the inside out. Through the power of your love. So God, I pray for anyone who prayed that prayer, help them grow in this amazing relationship with you. You live in them. You love them. Nothing can separate them from your love. The other thought I had just for the rest of us here is uh, just the posture of, I think it's significant of open hands versus closed hands. And I'm just wondering, are our hearts open to whatever gifts the Lord would want to give us so that we can use those? And so Lord, I just wanna pray for that. I wanna pray, God, life is so busy and I, I get it. And just, it's so easy to just forget about these gifts and it's, not an evil intent, but we just, we forget about the privilege of serving and blessing. And so Lord, if, if there are hands here that have been maybe busy and closed and you're wanting to open, thank you for that, Lord. And I just pray for those hearts that are open, opening and saying, yeah, Lord, I'm sorry. I put gifts on the, gifts on the shelf. I, I'm sorry. I really want to use the gifts you've given. I really want to discover those gifts. And so I just want to pray these next few weeks as we're in chapter 12 here, pray for a season of discovery. I pray in Lord for desire to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. And I am asking right now for a greater impartation of gifts. As we understand, as we are becoming more informed, as we're understanding, looking at your word, there would be a greater impartation in each of us and in this church, Lord that we would break out of the boxes we put spiritual gifts in and we would experience just all that you have for us, Lord. So Holy Spirit, come and move as we continue to worship. And I want to invite you as we're worshiping, whether you're sitting, standing or whatever, I just want to invite you just to continue to open your heart to the Lord. He may be wanting to pour out gifts even now. And if you feel like something is going on, maybe you want someone to pray with you, just pray alongside of you. Just step up forward here, up front here. We have a prayer team available. I'll be available too. We'll just come alongside, just place a hand on your shoulder, just bless what God's doing. You don't have to share anything with us. We just want to bless what God's doing. And then we'll, if God lays anything on our heart, we feel like, he he's, wants to say something. We'll just share that and encourage you to test and weigh that. But this is just ministry time. We're opening our hearts to the Holy Spirit. He's a giver. So Holy Spirit, come and continue to move in us. We love you. We love you. Come, Holy Spirit. So coming out of this message, as always, please let us know if you have any questions, if you want to talk to somebody, if you need prayer. We are in this together. You are part of this church family, and we would love to hear from you, stay in touch with you. So you can go to our website. There's a chat box. You can send us emails to info at CCC Greeley. There's all sorts of ways you can communicate and just um, allow us to journey together with you and bless you and encourage you. So that's all for today. Have a blessed rest of your day.